production. Hello, it's Sarah. I wanted to let you know about my three new meditations I have made especially for you. If you follow the podcast, you'll know that meditation has been a big part of my life for a long time, so a lot of care has been taken in making these meditations extremely powerful. I've created a 20-minute manifestation meditation to allow you to bring your dreams into reality. Then I've created two 10-minute meditations, one for the morning to help you start your day vitalized and with a clear mind, then an evening meditation to help you have a calm and restful sleep. You can find these three meditations on my website at the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com. Kimberly Snyder is a three-time New York Times best-selling author, spiritual and meditation teacher, nutritionist and wellness expert. She's also the founder of Saluna, a holistic lifestyle brand. She's worked with dozens of top celebrities to feel their best, including Drew Barrymore and Reese Witherspoon. She believes beauty is not only physical, but built from the inside out. There are four cornerstones of true beauty, food, body, emotional well-being and spiritual growth. This conversation shines a light on the importance of good nutrition, how to achieve true emotional freedom and how to step out of your negativity and fear. When you connect to this deeper true self place, what comes with that is this deep sense of deserving and believing that you can and will create these things. And that's what's lacking with a lot of this manifestation stuff because all the shadow work hasn't been done, which is the integration of the light and the dark. We create a different kind of light. We see our uniqueness. We see our flaws. We see we're still working on things. But underneath that all is this true self energy, which never leaves us. So we can still connect to that at the same time and bring that forward. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Kimberly Snyder is the author of many books, including Radical Beauty with Deepak Chopra, The Beauty Detox Solution, and her newest book, You Are More Than You Think You Are. More than anything, this conversation is about the power of showing up with intention and making food choices wisely with the knowledge that it can be used to heal. My hope is that this conversation allows you to reflect on your own life and helps you make the choices you need to live your greatest existence. Kimberly Snyder, you have had such a colourful life, such a beautiful life, and you have shared your learnings with so many people. And I really wanted you on today because, as I mentioned to you before we started this conversation, I've read your book and I've listened to a lot of your work, and you have a way of talking about information that makes it so clear and so easy to understand. And your life journey has been just so interesting. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. And let's start at the beginning and tell us a bit about your childhood. So thank you so much, Sarah. It's so wonderful to connect to you. And I part of my journey, which we'll get around to, has been in Australia, which I really oh, wow. connect with as well. So my childhood was in this place called Connecticut and like um this you know this eastern part of the United States and it always felt 
very small and constricted to me. I'm also half Asian. So I always felt like I stood out. It was very Caucasian. So from the beginning, I just sort of was uncomfortable in my body, so to speak, which I think propels us. So for me, it propelled me to want to feel better, which then led to things like eating disorders in high school and real fixation with the body and how I looked. And then it just kept expanding and expanding into going to college in DC. And then, you know, we can go further down, but, you know, into this round the world trip, which started in Australia. And then I bought around the world tickets and it just started, my mind just kept opening. But to answer your question, Sarah, I think I really came from this place of feeling deep disconnection and not good about myself. But that was this impetus of this incredible journey that's unfolded and continues to unfold. And you started to study medicine. How did you get into that realm and what made you want to then stop doing that and and move forward in your life in a different path? So there was this natural inclination for science and math. And I actually went into college with a partial science and math scholarship. So back then, Sarah, though, I was very focused on external validation. What do I look like in the mirror? What do people think of me? And that also extended to my career. I wanted to be a doctor because it was a prestigious career. But what happened was I interned at a hospital one summer and I was like, whoa, like this isn't for me. Like it just didn't feel like something I could imagine myself doing for my whole life. So I ended up veering off that path. And at that point, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. But I had studied abroad in Australia, actually my junior year of college. And on that trip in November, I went to Bali. I remember going, this is the first time I'd been to Asia. I'd been out of the Western world and my mother's from the Philippines. So this is before I even went to the Philippines to visit my cousins. So I went there and I was like, whoa, look at life. Look at how different the smell and how everything looks. So what happened was I got this travel bug when I was in Australia. So I went back to graduate from college and I found this company that had an office in Australia, actually. So it was this marketing company. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this forever, but I got them to to transfer me there after college. So then I worked for a year in Sydney. It was in Darling Harbor. And I saved my money. At the time, it was a really good exchange rate. And then that was the point where I thought I was going to go for a couple weeks. But then I started traveling. And then it ended up being three years and over 50 countries. Wow. So I really just went on a completely different path that kept you know, one step led to the next. And you spent quite a lot of time in India and that was super special to you. I've spent time in India many years ago and I want to go back. It is just one of the most magical places. How did that time in India affect you? So at the time, I wouldn't have used this this word, um, but I was a seeker. Mm. You know, I was going on this trip and I was trying to feel, again, better in my body. So back to your question about my childhood. I was, you know, constricted. I was trying to be thin. And then in college, I sort of swung the other way where I was drinking and partying and I gained weight and I had all this acne and I just was feeling really low in energy. So then I go on this around the world trip 
And I'm starting to explore these ideas about beauty and what does it feel like to feel good inside. And so then I was, um, you know, just going around in a, with no plan. And then I ended up in India and that was a country that just felt, wow, like this is a whole different way of looking and a whole different perspective of life. And it was about energy. And this is the place, Sarah, where I, I became plant-based because it was about, um, meditation. It was about feeling lighter. It was a completely different way of looking at food, which had been so numbers-based, so rigid. So I started to open up my ideas about connection, interconnection and meditation. And it then just changed my whole life philosophy. So I went there the first time for about three or four months. And then I circled around again and then went there again for some more months. And now I've you know studied Ayurveda for four or five years. It's informed so much of my philosophy. It gave me a whole different language of talking about energy, the energy of food, the energy of lifestyle beyond this Western concept of dieting and numbers and age and all these numbers, which always felt so limited to me. So um, it was also the place, Sarah, where I really learned about yoga and not yoga in the sense that we, you know, a lot of Westerners think of it as the poses, but really about this place of this whole system of connecting to the energy inside this wellspring of energy in our spine. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to put it. it. It just completely changed my life. And to this day, much of my philosophy is based in the Vedas and the Vedic philosophy. It's so beautiful, the Vedic philosophy. And I want you to talk more about yoga because that is very interesting. It wasn't till I interviewed Eddie Stern where I realised that yoga isn't just doing all those poses and we in the Western world, we go to a yoga class and there's all different types. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. It encompasses everything. But your book, which is phenomenal, which is called You Are More Than You Think You Are, you really lean on a lot of Yogananda's work, who is just, his teachings are phenomenal. And I'd like to know, when did you first get onto his work? Yes. So this is exactly, fits into our story where I was traveling around the world. I started in probably the easiest place to backpack as a single woman, which is Thailand, Southeast Asia. I know a lot of Aussies go there as well. And then I sort of worked my way up to India. And this is starting to blow my mind. Oh, wow, like meditation and interconnection. And what is this? And if I'm meditating, does it mean I'm, I'm a Hindu? Like, you know, there's all these questions because I was raised Christian. So anyways, I walk into this bookshop and I see this blue booklet. And it just sort of was one of those moments that you can't explain. You're just drawn towards something. And I picked it up and I started reading it. And to this day, look at me, sir, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> And it was one of Yogananda's books. And he's talking about this underlying energy matrix. He's talking about oneness. He's talking about how the message of Jesus and Krishna, it's all the same thing, just different paths up the mountain. And it was just like, I felt this heat in my spine. I was like, this is truth. This is mm. what I've been searching for. This is peace. Like this is everything. This is vitality. So it was that moment that I really deeply connected in and, I have not left 
that path since. I started going really deep. I read Autobiography of a Yogi. I did the home lessons where you can learn the full practice, the whole science of Kriya. So for me, I came into yoga. That was, you know, when I first got to Rishikesh, I came into yoga from this holistic perspective that Yogananda teaches, which is a, it, the, the point of yoga is union, which is about going into your spine. It's about getting out of your external nervous system all the time, which is always looking out and always pulling us into the senses and going inward to this place of profound power and mm. peace and creativity. So it's, it's, it's very, you know, there's a lot of pranayama, it's breathing techniques, and there's just a tiny bit of physical movement, but it's really about how do we connect to this unique power, this place inside of us to source God universe inside of us. So then later I, you know, I came back to the America and I became a certified asana teacher, but I would always tell my students, this is preparing the body for the real jewels of yoga, which is the pratyahara, the withdrawal of energy from out here, getting into your spine, the dairana, the dairana, the concentration. We're doing this to prepare for meditation and the real practice. Mm-hmm. It's not, this is not the end goal. It's so interesting when you said before how it's a real truth and you got shivers when you saw in Yogananda's book. When, because I'm, I listened to your book on Audible. When I was listening to it, you would read a quote that Yogananda would say. And it's so bizarre that you have that experience because when you read the quote, I would get shivers and you would finish mm. by saying his name. And I would think to myself, it's just truth. That is truth. Yes. There's so much power in his words and the way that you have put it into your own book is phenomenal. There's this energy that is abundant in anything that this man has written or has done. So what happened, if I could share the the genesis of this book, this is during the pandemic. And I wasn't looking to write a book, Sarah. Like at this point, I'm 34 weeks pregnant with my second son. And I remember where I was, I was upstairs in our living room. And all of a sudden, this idea of the book, which is bring forward truth, Yogananda's teachings, which are so needed in the world right now. Again, this is during COVID. This is 2020. Um, when I got the, when I started to bring forward the idea of the book to get the book deal and make it accessible. So then this came and I was like, oh my gosh, I was about to like sort of relax down. And so it was such a strong message that this book is what's wanted right now in the world. And so I text my good friend and co-author two books ago, Deepak Chopra. And I said, Deepak, like this came through. And of course he's like, this book belongs with Hay House, this other publisher. He's like, this really vibes with them. So next thing I know, he connected me on an email. Then next thing, Reed Tracy, the president, is like, well, what's your book idea about? And I'm like, okay, I tell him. Two days later, I'm presenting it on Zoom. I wrote a sample chapter and then three days before I gave birth, I signed my book deal. And then 60 days after I gave birth, I sat at this desk right here, which you can't see in front of this podcast equipment. And so I have a newborn, Sarah, right? This is the pandemic. I have a four-year-old who's not in preschool because of everything that's going on. And somehow this book, like you were saying the truth, I was just trying to channel this. How would you, you know, this needed in the world. I want to share this. So much of the wisdom is in these like really dense texts, which people aren't going to go through. The thousands of pages is commentary in the Bhagavad Gita in the New Testament and all these books. So I went through thousands and thousands of pages But there was just this flow that I can't even explain because it came from this place of let us bring forward what is needed right now. Mm. What can really support? And 
in you know this real purity that I hope comes across this humbleness where I'm not saying I'm the guru. I'm saying here's the way. Here's the way to the guru that's directly connected to source, which I feel like is my greatest honor because the, I know how much his work has helped change my entire life. Yeah. And I would just want to share that with everybody. What really also drew me to your story is the fact that you've had a lot of hardship and the way that you came out of that was extraordinary. And by you telling your story, starting off with your marriage breaking down and how young your son was and and then you can tell the rest of it, I think so many people would be able to relate to that. Yes, we all go through these dark moments, these challenging times that, you know, forget about one day at a time. As I say, it's almost like one breath at a time. So it was this really challenging period now, five years ago, where the first thing that happened was my mom suddenly passed away, mm. who was such a strong, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally powerful woman. She was, you know, like many of us, like such a pillar in our life, the mother energy. And we found out she had cancer on Valentine's Day. And then by the end of Mar- March 29th, she was gone. So it was like six weeks. You know, then it really woke me up to anything can happen at any time. There was this real rawness in me. Of course, sometimes we think about love. We, th- we automatically think about relationship love or partnership love. But the greatest lesson in love came when I was. she was about to go and you could feel her breathing starting to slow down. And there was this period from two in the morning where I said, squeeze my hand if you can you know, you can hear me, mom, because she couldn't talk anymore. And she squeezed and she looked at me with her black eyes. And it was these this two hour periods, goosebumps <laughs> again, where I just poured out all my heart. You know, love will never end. I love you forever. Thank you so much for being my mom. We chose each other. And then I said, you can go. You know, you can let go because I could tell she was holding on because she'd been married to my dad, together with my dad for like 40 years. And there was that sense of like, she didn't want to leave him. So I was like, I promise I will take care of daddy. Like, and I did. He lived with us. He was there for a while um, till he was able to transition. And so it was this moment, Sarah, of really understanding that love is action. Love is living in this energy. Love does not expect anything in return. The 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 grabby kind of love is no, hold on mom, because I want you to be there for me. I want to be able to call you. I want you to comfort me. But it was this real, let your soul rest and you can go. And then she let go of my hand. And then shortly after she took her last breath. And so for me, it was like this like awakening of this heart energy. Like I had never felt this pain. It was like mixing with this grief, this loss, but this real expansion of like, this is what it's like to really love this freedom of things flow and they go, but we can't grab, we can't hold on. So my son was very young. He was about 18 months old. And I just started getting this feeling like this isn't exactly right. My former partner is amazing. He's an incredible human and man, but there wasn't that deep connection. We weren't really moving forward. So after she passed, I sort of looked and said, well, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to share? What do I want my life to be like? I want to live in truth. I want to be in this love and it wasn't really possible in that relationship. So it was so scary. You know, the nights I hear about in the book, just crying in my closet every night. Like I felt like my life was ending. Now I'm a single mom. I'm a new mom. I lost my mom. It was all these, these you know, big energies coming in. 
but it was in that period. It's true when they say out of the darkness, it's like one step at a time. So in that, I met with a monk at the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is Yogananda's organization, his meditation organization. And the monk said, Kimberly, he's like, just treat your home like an, a- an ashram for five months. Just you know, focus on yourself. And that's what I did. I meditated really deeply. That's when I really reread all of Yogananda's work. I went, I read scripture. I read the Gita. I read the Tao Te Ching. I reread the Bible. I read everything I could get my hands on. And I was just in this, going into this centered place. And then as I describe, and we can go on with the story, but some months after that, I was like, oh, I'm going to start going out in the world. I'm going to meet with friends more. I'm going to go to dinner. And it was at that place, I went to this random, actually someone I met on the podcast, I didn't know that well, invited me to this random dinner party in Venice Beach down the road with like 12 people. And that's where I ended up meeting my amazing soulmate husband, John, right? But it came from this like, oh, this fear, this darkness, sitting with that, integrating the shadows, finding the light that's always there underneath through these powerful practices that Yogananda teaches us. Connect in, connect in. It's so specific though, Sarah. It's not like, you know, I love Eckhart Tolle, for instance, and and you probably had him on your show too, but some of it's like, oh, but how do I do that? How do I go in the now? Whereas Yogananda is like, this is how you breathe and this is what you do with your spine and this is what you do in the morning and this is how you pick your life partner. It's I really appreciate that practicality and that was how I was able to really move forward. It's an incredible story, Kimberly, because firstly, I mean, we, like you said, we all go through hardship. Doesn't matter who you are in life, everyone has hardship. And I think people hearing that, it brings so much comfort in the sense that when someone is dying or passes away, you think, I'm not going to survive without your love. So to hear your story on how you not only allowed her to leave your mother, but then you found this love, that love is eternal and that it's part of unconditional love is they don't have to be here because you will yes. always love them regardless as if, as you said, if you can talk to them on the phone or not. And I just think it was just all the steps that you've done are so brave, but they have enabled you to then move forward in your life in such an amazing, amazing way. And I truly believe it's then allowed you to tell this unbelievable story, which has helped so many people. Oh, thank you, love. And it's true. It's the 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 overall theme here, and Yogananda said something that he's, he, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but the funny thing about the world is the things that seem real aren't really real, and the things that don't seem real are real. Meaning we focus so much back to this peripheral nervous system, what we see in form, the surface, mm. what we look like, what the numbers are, all this stuff. And yet underneath is the real energy. Who we are is not just this surface, you know, bag of skin and bones. It's this potential. It's this energy. Love is this energy. So when we focus on this person's leaving, it's just this physical part of them. So instead of focusing on the physical, we we expand the love into the metaphysical. Mm. We go beyond the boundaries. I feel so close to my mom still. I've had so many experiences of connecting with her. She's around. She's around the kids and the family. I feel like my heart's blown open. So a big part of this work and what Yogananda teaches, and when I talk, and there's no coincidence that the first 
first chapter is your fearlessness. Mm-hmm. The 26 soul qualities in the Bhagavad Gita that Yogananda expands on to, to attain this real godlike life, this epic, real successful life. The first one is fearlessness. Yes. Because like he said, if you don't get past fear, you're not getting on the map, right? You're really not going to move your life forward. So we look into the fear. We look into the shadow. I'm fearful of losing a loved one. I'm fearful to let go. I'm fearful of being called a single mom. I'm fearful of being rejected, right? All the millions of fears. We have to breathe into that. That was that moment, Sarah, where I felt that, no, I don't want you to let go. I mean, it's okay. We find a way to breathe through and it is in that letting go. It's like your hand opens up and all this energy starts to come in, it comes into your spine, it comes into your life, it opens your chakras, it opens your heart. And you say, oh, this is what enlightenment really starts to feel like, which isn't this end destination, but just more light, more awareness, mm-hmm. more getting past these little limits that fear, constriction, limitation, identification makes us feel. And we just keep opening up more and more and more. That's so beautiful. And I've heard you say that we build ourselves from the inside out. In those darkest moments that you had, was there ever a time where you thought, I don't know if I'm going to get through this? Oh, yes. Like daily, right? It's just that struggle to breathe. And I remember there were periods where I couldn't meditate because it just felt like too much. So it was like, can I take one deep breath, right? Because when you're in deep grief, when you're in deep fear, there's constriction, right? So your breath kind of feels like this because your solar plexus is really constricted. So for me, it was not even thinking about that far down the future. It was getting into this moment, which in a way drives you really deep into the present, right? So it's like, this is dark. This is scary. I don't know what's going to happen, but ultimately I have no choice but to sit in it, right? So it's like you start to understand there was periods too, where I said, I I don't know if I'm built for this. I don't know if I can do it. The crying would come, right? It's like the nonlinear path of spiritual growth of trust, which is where we move forward, one step or two steps, and then we may go back one step or three steps. And it is this word, trust, that I realized I never had in my life. I didn't trust that everything was going to be okay. That's where that you know, managing, that controlling starts to come in where we want to feel safe. So as Yogananda talks about in the book, it talks about this real, where do we put safety and security? It's interesting. I wrote this book during COVID where everybody, everybody's freaking out. Like, I don't know what's going on. What's going on with the governments and the regulations and the global health crisis? It doesn't feel safe out there. Well, the only place we can really feel safe and secure is deep inside of mm. us. There is this internal anchor, the true self. There's a word Yogananda used, this term he used. So it's like in the spine. So not out here in peripheral, but keep going back into central nervous system, in the spine, in the brain, and in the brainstem is this real stable energy it feels so deeply grounding when you connect to it in these practices. So all this stuff starts to happen and that's very ungrounding in our daily life, but yet we have this place. This feels like this well to me. We can just keep going and drinking from. And it gets stronger and stronger over time, of course. It does. It gets stronger over time when we keep doing those practices. Yes. I've heard you say that a lot of suffering occurs when we over-identify with the ego. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yes. So back to limitation versus unlimited. 
So it's this graspy, I think of these like grabby hands trying to sort of pin ourselves to this moment in time. So the ego is everything we sense with the five senses. When we look in the mirror, when we look on our social media, we look at the numbers, we look on other people's social media right, and their bodies and we compare ourselves. It's all this form. And the truth is, and science shows us, quantum physics shows us, we're really, you know, it's 0.0000000000999% space in it. But it's not emptiness. It's this potential. It's this kinetic energy. It's this formlessness. So what we suffer when we think I'm that aging body, I'm not as big or as important as that person. It's like all this stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to tell ourselves these stories. And I know firsthand because I'm that person that was got to be the top of my class. If I don't have an A plus, I'm a loser. Oh, your arms are so fat. I mean, the worst stuff I would tell myself. And it would really, the volume really turned up when I went through that experience. Oh my gosh, you're a single mom. No one will love you. You're a loser. You have a failed relationship. You know, my mother's from the Philippines and there's a really strong culture around divorce being mm. failure. It's even illegal, right? So this is like a deep ancestral belief in me. So the only way out of it is to not try to keep up, right? It's not trying to like make yourself skinnier or better, all the numbers. It'll never be good enough. Mm. You know, and part of my work and my career, I've worked with some of the biggest celebrities in the world. You know, firsthand, they think, you know, people that everyone would think is the most beautiful, the most successful. I can tell you that you get to a certain place. There's always somewhere else, somewhere else. So the way to get out of the suffering is to get into a different system. We don't want to play the game of the system of the ego. You go into this, you could call it the heart, intuition, love, true self. We're going to this other place, which isn't identified with the form. It's identified with this unique energy inside of you. We could say spirit individualized inside of you. So when you connect to it, you start to get markers. You start to actually feel more peace. You start to feel the voice of your intuition coming forward more. You start to see more serendipity in your life. Mm. This creative power Yogananda talked about, you start to get these ideas. You start to birth things from this deeper place, not a mental place. It really starts to change the whole trajectory of your life. And there's a chapter in the book, Sarah, called You Are Magnetic. That's where I talk about how did I even write a book with Deepak Chopra? How did I even dare to dream these? How these things happen? And it's true. As we start to shift this internal energy, it, it's, it is, you know, and, this, and word sounds woo sometimes, but it's not when you really look at it down from a scientific perspective as well. Frequencies, you actually change yes. the energy body. And so their outer life cannot help but change from that repeated vibration. It happened in my life as well. Like attracts like. That saying is just so true. And I found many years ago when I was in a job I hated and I wasn't conscious of anything I did in life, I was just attracting negativity, bad bosses, weird Mm. situations that just weren't great. And then when things changed for me and I started to really delve into self-improvement work, meditation, change my thought patterns, conscious of how I spoke, then I started attracting a lot of good into my life. Yes. And then the serendipities happened, the things that you think could never happen, like writing a book with Deepak, those kind of things happen far more often and you wonder, wow, this is true. My internal energy has changed and then my external world is mirroring. And then it goes with the opposite as well. When the internal world starts crumbling a little bit, you see on the outside things shift. And what I would love to talk to you about is, you know, when you're in that 
energy of creation and things are coming to you. But then it gets to a stage where you might be wanting something a lot. Say you wanted a a book deal and the one didn't come to you as easily as it did. How do you not get into that pushy energy of trying to attract that into your life and going over the space of allowing things to flow and being in that flowing energy to wanting something too much? Yes, I know what you mean. So it's sort of that crossing into attachment Yes. versus here's my intention, here's the flow. So the way that I started to really um, notice this is because one of the best markers is, is our physical body, right? Because we're having this embodied experience. So we start to create more awareness, like when we're in meditation and we feel oh, expansive, when we feel open, this is where we're creating from. So we start to catch, when we start to feel that tightness, shoulders, like, oh, what's happening? Or this, like, we literally tighten the body. You start to feel that clenching in your gut or your stomach or wherever it is. For me, it is a lot in the gut, which is part of the reason I was constipated for many years. (laughs) That's another story, like how much digestion really does reflect our overall energy. So we just become aware when we are in constriction. Because remember, there is an energy field of desire and wantingness, which means I want it, means I don't have it, right? It means lack. And in quantum physics, there's something called the observer effect. There's all these incredible um, studies. There's a book called Quantum Mechanics, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, where what we are observing, what we're expecting starts to be mirrored back to us. So if we're saying, I want this, it means I don't have it, right? So we need to understand that that energy creates this gap between where we are and what we want. So what happens is when you notice yourself getting into that grabbiness, like, like I wanted this and I didn't get it. You want to move the energy, you want to work with the energy into expansion. So that could be taking a deep breath, just looking out on the horizon and seeing, oh, wow, the sky is expanded, going into like an expanded thought, going into gratitude. We keep going, noticing the constriction and moving away because the more we're in that constricted place, the more it keeps away from you what you want. So let's say the timing didn't work out for the book deal. Okay, you know, we change our perspective. We, we feel this more expansive place. We breathe. Then we go back to that place of trust. Something better is coming for me. Or maybe it wasn't the right timing. Spirit knows. Source knows. Whatever it is. We just keep staying in this place of trust. Now, as humans, it's natural to bounce back and forth between trust and then the ego. I want this. Look at this person has this. Right? Yes. But then we just notice and we move. And the more we go into that, um, Yogananda talks about the importance of starting the day as close as possible when you wake up, doing your meditation in the morning, which has been transformative for me. Because sometimes I used to sort of do a bunch of stuff and then I'd sit and then the energy is already sort of implanted in the body. I know when I start the day in this more expansive place, I'm less reactive. I'm just less, you know, affected by these things. So then things come in that don't go my way. It's easier to come into expansion. So the morning practice, I think, is really powerful. Again, day in and day out, gets stronger and stronger as we go through our, our, our journeys. I think meditation is one of the most powerful things that anyone can do in their life. And I talk about it so much on this podcast. People are probably like, here she goes again. But (laughs) I totally agree that in the morning is such a wonderful time to do the practice. Whenever you can is great, but the morning, don't turn on any devices, go into a quiet space. And it's just such a beautiful time to calm the thoughts. If you have kids, try and do it before they wake up. Yes. And 
you do, you start your day off in such a better note and then things that do come into your life that may ruffle your feathers normally, you're not really looking at them with such a, a negative mindset because you're in a far more stable way of being. So one of the most powerful things that we can develop to be truly successful, to be abundant, to create what we want is our intuition. Mm. And Yogananda talked about this over and over again. He calls it the infallible voice of the, the internal counsel, meaning your intuition. So when we start from this place of connecting to spirit, source, formless energy, again, heart inside of us, whatever word you want to use, our intuition starts to get heightened at the beginning of the day versus kind of dulled down and pushed down already on TikTok by the time we get out of bed or whatever it is. So this intuition is going to rise up in you from the morning forward. It means you become more intuitive about when your body's really hungry, what foods you want, you need to nurture yourself, what decision to make, what to create that day, where to go, what to do. It just is a whole different way of living and being. So it's really essential to keep going back to that well. And again, out of peripheral nervous system, which is very mental, we'll never create our best stuff. We'll always just try to copy or regurgitate or be something or fit into this limited identity when we come from this place versus going inside, drinking from this well, and your best stuff is always going to start to come burble up from the inside out from this very intuitive place. It's a very different place of creating. You've mentioned nutrition a few times and I want to tap into that because I know you've written many books on that topic and I want to ask you, why do you think that food is also very important for a healthy mind just as well as a healthy body? So at my... My, my uh, lifestyle brand, I teach this four cornerstone philosophy, which is food, body, emotional mm. well-being, and spiritual growth. So when you think about that, you know, when we think about who we are and our total um, life force, if you will, like our total vitality, our total well-being is our energy. And it's like in the pot, different things get put in that affect our energy, including how we meditate, including our relationships, the music that we listen to, the environment, the place that we live. One of them, and again, it's like the asanas, it's not the end all be all, but one of them is food. And food has a profound effect on our energy, on our state, on our ability to connect, on our ability to meditate. And that is one of the reasons that all of the great yoga teachers, all the gurus, including Yogananda, always talked about diet. If we're trying to get, we are different layers of our being, right? There's the, we can go into the koshas, but I'll, you know, in some simple terms, we'll say there's the physical body, right? There's the emotional body, the mental body, the spiritual body, everything affects everything else. So again, all the gurus taught about this way of eating, this lighter way of eating, this plant forward or plant-based way of eating, because otherwise we're in a denser form. It's keeping us down, like digesting more energies here versus where we're trying to go, which is up into the crown and connecting the Kundalini up and down. So it becomes this magnetizing energy. So the way we're eating, it's not oh, you know, you're living this restrictive lifestyle. It's because it has a certain effect on our energy. And then the sister science of yoga is Ayurveda, which then goes into the gunas. It goes into which foods are rajastic or very active, tamasic, slothful, sattvic, centering. So there's more and more science around this idea. But to sum up, the food that we eat 
we want it to be supportive of what we're trying to create in our life. So it's not the end goal. The form isn't the end goal as it used to be for me. I want to be a certain way. I want to look a certain way. That's great. And you know what, Sarah? It's a byproduct. Mm. So the amazing thing about it is when we get centered and we're coming from this intuitive place, all this stuff works out easier, tends to work out easier. Now I don't, I'm not forcing myself into these workouts. I'm not counting calories like I used to, but my body stays around the same ideal weight for my frame, right? It's just more easefulness because it's this more holistic place of nourishment on a, you know, all levels, mental, physical, and so on. It's such a wonderful thing. And I remember I interviewed a man a few years ago now. I don't know if you know him. His name is American. His name's Jeffrey Rediger. No. He speaks about spontaneous remissions. And the main mm-hmm. thing he talks about it's not dissimilar to you in that it's the mind and, you know, how you talk about it coming from all different places to be your whole self. And he does as well. But these so-called spontaneous remissions, miracles as such, a big pillar was the diet, was the food that mm-hmm. people were putting into their bodies and how suddenly they had brain cancer. They no longer had brain cancer. And he was saying that food is medicine. And I just thought, wow, I've never looked at food to be like that before, but it's so true. And the more research that we do, we find out that that food really, it is medicine and eating good food is so important for everything that we do in life. Everything is energy, right? Mm. So when we think about what you know, real, true, like these herbs, like the plant medicines that are coming from the forest, which are the basis of so many pharmaceuticals, of course it gets warped, but there's a different, there's a quality to this type of mushroom or this type of plant or this stalk or this flower, whatever it is. So when you're putting that in your body, it's going to have an energetic effect, especially if you're doing it with consciousness and intention. So the more we tune into energy, the more we can tune into, for my body, this particular food actually makes me feel really heavy. Mm. It makes me feel bloated. I'm not drawn to it in the same way anymore. So my third book was called Beauty Detox Power. And it was about the nine top food cravings and what that means like emotionally and spiritually as well as physically. You start to move away from that and the real mind-body connection. So when I was really starting to unpack, I was so into pretzels and chips, Sarah. And it was like this crunchiness was helping me release tension in my jaws. Very cathartic. It's very different than when you're craving ice cream and something soft and soothing that feels like it's, you know, enveloping you in this love, right? This kind of fake love. So when we start to understand what energies there are in the foods and how we really create those energies, yes, in a nurturing way through food, but also in a more expansive sense. This is real self-care. This is how we go into real deep vitality and eternal youthfulness and just health and energy at a whole other quantum level in this very limited Western approach, numbers-based approach. (laughs) It is. It's such a wonderful thing. And you talk about in your book, the idea of separation. And I think that's, it's such an interesting topic and something that I think a lot of us felt during COVID. It's an interesting thing. Social media is supposed to bring us together and it does in some senses, but then it also can make us feel so separate. I wonder if you can talk a bit more about that and how one can feel more within themselves that they are part of a greater force that isn't just them, me, mine, and maybe my family. So I just reread, actually, I was just 
we were talking about earlier, I was just coming back from our land in Hawaii and I was just reading Swami Sri Yukteswar's book, which is called The Holy Science. And he was Yogananda's guru. So we say the param guru, the guru's guru, all interconnected. And he talks in quite succinctness, but great detail about the real definition of suffering is feeling separate. Mm -hmm. And what that means is maya, which is the Sanskrit word for illusion, delusion, right? So we think about, you know, Yogananda talks about this underlying energy matrix. We think everything comes from source. There's that energy you're tapping into. That's the love that's running through your spine, like 24 seven, if we just tune into it. So that's the love, the connection, this drop of consciousness in me and you and everyone else but it's unique and it's individual, but it's all part of this. So we're all complementing, we're all connecting. When we, t- when we over, and then when your previous question about over-identifying with ego means we're buying into the delusion or buying into this form means I'm over here and you're separate over there. So it's like this big trick has been played on us. And suddenly we think what's re- this unreal stuff is really so real and so serious. So we start to think, oh, this is what it is. Versus again, the antidote are these practices going into the breath, feeling this profoundness between the inhales and the exhales, for instance, experiencing real stillness, the zero point field, which is the field beyond competition. This is the field where you feel so much love rushing from inside of you that when you look at someone and you can see the spirit inside of their eyes and you feel inside of you, it dissolves, starts to just really dissolve that limited egoic crap that makes us feel, you know, like S-H-I-T, every day when we're looking out and suddenly we're comparing, then we're contrasting and then we feel competitive. It's just not necessary. And we all fall into it sometimes, Mm. but the antidote is going into that well. And these, again, these meditations, these ways, first you had to integrate the shadow. So I will say in a practical sense, the way the book is set up is the way that Yogananda teaches. So there's three parts. The first is remove the blocks. So that's why we talk about fear. That's why we talk about wholeness. That's why we talk about love. These things that block us from this energy. Then part two is where we embody the true self. So that's where the chapters are in, you know, intuition and peace and tuning in inside of you. Then part three is creative, right? That's where we create our best stuff. That's why the longest chapter in the book is called You Are Creative you know, Body. So this is abundance. This is magnetism. Most people go straight to part three, they're trying to create. They're trying to put things out in the world. Like you said, the book deals or whatever it is, but they haven't done steps yes. one and two, which means they still have the blocks there. They still have the fear. They still have the shadows that whether they acknowledge them or not are there. We can't cheat energy. And number two, they haven't tapped into the real power. So when they go to create, they always get limited results. So we want to go through that flow. Yes. It's so interesting you say that because I think that's what's been the issue with manifestation being this huge buzzword and being the cool thing to do and everyone wants to manifest their <laughs> wildest dreams. In the wellness world, it's it's everywhere and not even on the wellness world. I th- apparently, it's really big on TikTok and things like that as well. But the idea of manifestation won't happen if you're not at peace with yourself and if you don't love yourself first. And it's so interesting that you say that you structured your book in that sense because it, it makes so much sense if you don't fill your own cup up and you don't have the love for yourself first and the oneness and all the other things we've just spoken about, then you're not going to be able to create properly. Or even if you create, you're not going to be able to hold on to it. It's a little bit more complicated than just imagining what you want and it coming to you. It's the real self-work needs to be done first. 
Exactly. The deep, deep self-connection. Because otherwise, like you said, you don't really have self-love. Yeah. Because then you're on the surface, you're on the ego. You're like, well, I'm kind of a good person, but I was really mean to my friend the other day. Or like I'm starting to look fat. So you don't really love yourself because you're still playing on that surface level where you're identifying with your behaviors, what you look like. When you connect to this deeper true self place, what comes with that is this deep sense of deserving Mm -hmm. and believing that you can and will create these things. And that's what's lacking with a lot of this manifestation stuff because all the shadow work hasn't been done, which is the integration of the light and the dark. We create a different kind of light. We see our uniqueness. We see our flaws. We see we're still working on things. But underneath that all is this true self energy, which never leaves us. So we can still connect to that at the same time and bring that forward. Again, that's why parts one and two are necessary. Otherwise, we're just saying these like really surface ways of doing affirmations and things pretty much like lying to ourselves. It's like this fake positivity that doesn't, you're not really creating from that. So you want to get in and really know who are you and then how do you connect to that deeper energy? And that is where things start to unfold. There's this beautiful part in the book. It's actually very much earlier on and you talk about love, but you talk about finding love in everyone and how that can be tricky at times, especially if someone's wronged you or has said something mean or who knows what the situation is. And I wonder if you can explain that a bit to us and how we can find love for those people that have hurt us in life. So what happens is, and you see how it's all interconnected, Mm. the more we go in underneath the surface, like deep, deep, deep underneath, there's this real pure place. This is the pure place inside of you that's past the wounds past the things that happened to you when you were a child, past the hurts, right? So there's this pure place. And when you connect to, I am so deeply deserving of love, I feel the love inside of me. When people say mean things, it starts to shift away from, oh, that person hurt me to, oh, wow, what's going on with that person? They must be having a really hard day. You start to feel compassion for them because you just become more and more unaffected. Do you see what I mean? Because when we're feeling that pain or that hurtness, it's triggering a wound in us. So what I find in my experience, when you go underneath the wounds and you start to heal, love rushes through, it starts to take the wounds with it. So you realize through these eyes of purity and compassion that, oh, that person's on their journey and they're speaking that meanness because they have a wound, they have pain. So you start to see it as a reversal almost, and you just become less affected by everybody else. So then it's easier to forgive. It's easier to find this wellspring of compassion because it's in the healing of ourselves that we connect more to others. See what I mean? Yeah. I've heard you talk about this and it was so beautiful. It reminded me when you were just talking then that when God saw Moses and said to him, I am that I am. That's it. It's just, I mean, how powerful is that? That gives me goosebumps as well. I will mention that my second son's name is Moses. Mm. I love this story. This is, you know, when you talk about the chakras, you talk about energy centers, It's our third chakra. It's our Manipur. This is our power center. And most of us try to get power in limited ways. Here's my position at the company. Here's how many social media followers I have or whatever we're trying to get power from. And that's cool, right? And that can come and go. And some of it, you know, we have fun with. But the real point of power is that statement, I am that I am. That's it. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be validated by the outside world. The fact that I am alive and breathing, I'm this unique creation of spirit. Whoa, 
then when you really connect to that, it becomes this Taurus effect of personal power that's always springing up from inside you. And it's real confidence. It's speaking the truth. That is the most magnetic thing. Mm. People will be drawn to you from that place. I am that I am. So we just need to get deeper and deeper. And it does, you know, really is these practices, Sarah, that Yogananda teaches that I try to, you know, pass on and in the book and, and bring it to modern life. It works. It's not like, oh, here's these, you know, kind of fuzzy concepts. Like these are the ways in which we live. These are the ways, this is what you do with your spine. This is, you know, what we need to look at with the shadows. This is how you integrate wholeness. And what happens is it keeps going deeper and deeper. And suddenly you realize it's true. I am that I am. And that unshakable confidence starts to come. And along with that incredible love, compassion, bliss, it's like everything we're looking for. Mm, that's so beautiful. Kimberly, what is the best advice that you have ever been given? There's so many things. I keep pointing the way back to Yogananda because in you know it, it has had the it has had the most profound effect on my life. And I would just say, you know, it's all these different iterations of what we're talking about, Sarah, which is that everything you're looking for is really inside of you. Mm. The love, the power, the peace, like all these things, it is. And we really need to sit with that piece of advice because in all ways we're grabbing out here, right? We're looking, we're trying to change this, we're trying to get this and this. And so it's like a very profound, it sounds simple, but it's very profound. Like how is that inside of me? How do I connect to that inside of me? And that was that seeking I was talking about because I didn't feel good in myself. I always felt gross and bloated and ugly and not enough and all these things. And then it was like, oh, but there's this little light of like hearing him say that, like it's inside of you. And then I started saying, well, how? And then you become curious and then you go down the path and you struggle and you wrestle and it's a nonlinear path. But then it does, you know, this monk said the, the, the spiritual pathway is like boiling water. You turn the water on the stove, right? First thing, like nothing's happening. Oh, I'm going. It still feels really dark here, confusing. But then suddenly little bubbles start to come and it starts to roll. It starts to become this rolling boil. It's just this, this really residual, this effect of like energy building. And so that's where I've experienced, I have so more, so much more to go, like all of us, right, Sarah? But I can say, oh my gosh, this is, this is real. When you start to go in deeper, all the things I was chasing out there don't seem so serious anymore. Mm. It's here. So this is where we really want to start to connect. All the things you're looking for are inside of you. They are inside of you. Everything is inside of you. <laughs> and I think yes. knowing your story and how you went through absolute hell and back and you're still sitting here with a smile on your face, it's just incredible. And I wonder, Kimberly, what's the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? So I think for all of us, again, it's this... Um, I still get caught up in those egoic games sometimes, like with myself, like, you know, I, I talked about in high school, it was like, I had to be the top 10 of my class. I have to get perfect grades, the numbers. It's still, you know, for me, just still untethering from external validation. I mean, it keeps going and shedding more and more, but I still, you, you know, we still look sometimes to the outside. So I think full enlightenment is where you are in that connected place, right? Like the, the, the Buddha and the Swami, Sri Jishwar and Yogananda. So that's the lesson is, you know, we're still bouncing around here and there, the true self and being in the outside. So, um, yeah, 
you know, we, when I notice, I try not to shame myself because I know we're on this journey. We're all struggling along doing the best we can. But I will say that it does, the more time we spend in there, the more awareness we create, we are more in here than out there. And it starts to be this contrast of, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to really be on the surface. This is what it's like to be in this expanded place. I like it more in there. So it keeps bringing me back more and more. What's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? When I first read Yogananda's words and it went right up into my spine. A second one was during that period, I told you of the five months, where I was really meditating very deeply. And I was just starting, I went into the forest and I had a very deep meditation. I was in Mexico and I came back and there's more details to this, but I opened up the door of my hotel room, this bungalow, and there were six people in hazmat suits waving around the incense. I was like, what is going on? And I looked on the wall, Sarah, and there was, it was covered in bees. Like the whole thing was bees. And I ran down the stairs. I was like, what is going on? And the manager of the hotel was like, I go, there's a thousand bees in my room. And she goes, she goes, Miss, she goes, there are not a thousand bees. She goes, there are 1 million bees in your room. She said, in the history of the hotel, we have never seen bees. One time, like 10 bees came in the office. She's like, there's no hole in the room. There's no hive. We have no idea how this happened, but we've given you like a free room down the beach. And now I really tuned into it, Sarah. And it was like this, the bees. And now we have bees on our land in Hawaii. The bees are, you know, in Egyptian uh, philosophy, it's like the, the, the connection between the underworld and this world. It's like very mystical. Bees are amazing, right? And so in that moment, it was just almost this physical sign that I was starting to grow and tap into something beyond mm. <laughs> just the form. But it was crazy. I mean, when I say the whole wall was covered, it was like literally like a wall of bees. And to this wow. day, they say, oh my gosh, this has never happened. We don't know where they came from. And it was like one of those interesting moments. That's incredible. <laughs> After deep meditation. Yeah. Well, it always happens after those big meditations. I had something yes. happen the other day and I'm still trying to process it. Do you have a favorite prayer or mantra or saying? Well, I think, you know, back to, back to, it's funny, our conversation keeps going in a circle. Yeah. I am that I am. Yeah. That is the ultimate mantra. That's stripping away everything. I am that I am and I am love. Anytime I feel myself kind of going into this like constriction or not enoughness, it's like, no, no, love is everything. Every, love is truth. Mm. Love is expansion. Love is energy. Like that is who I am. So those are the, the simple, when you start getting down to the simple truths. What's your greatest hope for society today? That we move past the separation, that we start moving more into this space of oneness and peace from the inside, then everything will change. It's true. When Gandhi talks about, you know, you have to be the change. Each of us have to bring forth that energy. We're all these little bees in the hive, right? So the more each of us tunes in and shares and sees the light in each other and brings that forward, the more peace, the more beauty there is going to be across society. What is a life of greatness to you? So a life of greatness to me is tuning in, connecting to that true self and bringing that out into the world, serving each other. So it's two parts. It's you connect, so you feel it, and then we serve in our unique ways. And I think that's what we're here for. That's real greatness, that real connection, and that deep service that only each of us can bring forward. 
Kimberly Snyder. You are a true <laughs> light worker, honestly. Your story and the goodness that you put into the world is just so absolutely profound. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been an honor to chat to you today. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It's an honor to be with you. I love your energy and your openness and the love pouring out of you. I just want to acknowledge that it's very palpable. So thank you so much. And I hope to connect with you more. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg, Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.